Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my co-host is, of course, a two-time national champion at USC and played 13 seasons in the NFL on the defensive line, Frosty Rucker. Frosty, we've got a special guest on the show today. Yeah, we do. To help us finish off our three-part series, looking back at the 2003 Trojan team that won a national title. Why don't you do the honors and introduce him? Well, this is a special one to me. This is my college roommate, one of my best friends. He's in multiple group chats with me. One of the many guys that I keep in contact with almost on a daily basis. And I want to introduce everyone to Mr. Mike Williams, a.k.a. BMW, the best receiver to come out of USC. Everyone welcome him. Mike, how you doing? Hey, how y'all? Thank you, Frost. Appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for having me. How y'all doing? We're good, brother. We're good. How you doing? Oh, man, you know, just down here in Florida, man, trying to make sure I abide by these COVID-19 rules. Man, make sure you stay in your lane, man. Don't be out there with that foolery. We've seen that pastor on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they really got upset about him having the church, but some people just think they need God, man. But anyway, let's move on to something positive. Hey, Mike, why don't you let all of our listeners, who are mostly probably Trojan fans, let them know what you're up to now. You said you're back in Florida. Let's give an update on what Mike Williams is up to. I'm going to my 10th season as a high school head coach down here in Tampa. I moved back last fall. I'm at Wharton High School, Southern New Tampa. It's an 8A program. It's the highest level of football in the state. So I'm excited to get back home and get to it on a bigger level. But that's really it, man. I have a foundation, Mike Williams Foundation. We raise money for kids that need food. We work with Feeding Tampa Bay and different entities that were doing that. So just trying to get back to community through the kids. Hey, Mike, obviously I went out there on that one spring break. We don't really have to get into details about that. (laughs) How far is that from Plant High School where you went to high school at? Oh, man, it's about 40 minutes. It's funny because this school is in Plant's district, so you play them every year. Wow. Yeah, it was quite a thing down here because the jobs came open at the same time. So Plant job was open and the Wharton job was open. So everyone pretty much thought it was a slam dunk. I was going to go back to my alma mater and and go to plant but i decided to go to wharton just because i just i like what they had to offer at the time when you go home it's kind of a job you want to have for a while so just want to trust the timing of my life and if it comes around later on it will but i'm happy where i'm at that's big time man i know the community is glad to have you back Nora, i went out to tampa for spring break one year when me and mike were roommates and got a chance to see the environment where he lived where he came from met his folks It was a good place. They embraced me just like I was one of their own. Walked around his high school in his town. And Tampa Bay is a beautiful city, so I'm sure they love having you back. Have you heard any negative comments that you didn't go to plant? Frost, they have four or five state championships since you last visit. Wow. So it's a big-time gig. It's a big-time job. The coach that just left, he left to go be the assistant offensive coordinator at Toledo. So Coach Wiener did a good job building the program up the 15 or 16 years he was there. Living in the community and knowing what the fans and the parents were used to, I just genuinely didn't feel like it fit me at the time. Maybe a few years later, I may be that kind of coach or that kind of person. But right now, I feel like I'm still figuring it out. And that was kind of some things I didn't want to take on. 
And plus being back home, now you know a lot of parents that you grew up with, and now you got buddies that they have kids, and right. now they want you to play their kids. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of other stuff you don't want to deal with. So I think I made the right choice so far. Good, man. That's great that you're having some fun back in your hometown. And of course, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. Also, the website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. On Twitter, you can find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Frosty, let everybody know where they can catch up with you. As usual, you can find me, Frosty, at The Organic Process on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If it doesn't have a big snowman smell on it, it's probably not me. The Believe in USC football podcast is brought to you in part by True Classic Tees. Styles change, formal wear is out, and t-shirts are in. True Classic Tees is an LA-based t-shirt company that's on the rise. The t-shirts are soft, hold up in the wash, and incredibly versatile. You'll feel comfortable wearing them around the house, which is where most of us are stuck right now, working out in them, or when things get back to normal, out on the town. And the best part, they're incredibly cheap, only $15. And now, you can get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com and use the code BLEAV at checkout for 20% off. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V at trueclassictees.com. Well, we got to hear Frosty's thoughts in the last two shows about the 2003 regular season, so I want to get your memories of it, Mike, starting with what expectations did you have going into the season? You had been a first-team freshman All-American, the Pac-10 Freshman of the Year in 2002. You set NCAA freshman records for receiving yards and TD catches. So what were you expecting out of yourself and the team going into your sophomore year? I mean, for us, he probably couldn't relate because they were so worried about the defensive side. They were going to be really good. They had a bunch of guys that had did well my freshman year that were coming back, especially on the defensive line. The defensive line was going to be, you know, exactly what they ended up being that season. And so on the offensive side, we didn't know who our quarterback was going to be up until maybe a couple weeks before the season started. So regardless of what the first year was, you know, it was kind of a proven thing with Carson. And then the next year, we're kind of, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. So. As much as you wanted to do well, you didn't kind of know how that was going to play out. But Matt ended up being the guy and came out and had a great first year and great contribution from the younger guys that we had recruited. So it turned out to be the season I was expecting, but it didn't start out that way. And talk a little bit about that quarterback battle. Obviously, Matt Leinart, Matt Castle, Brandon Hance, and John David Booty had entered early as a freshman. So it was a lot of names that people knew about and had heard about. Did you guys see anything during the battle, how it was going? Did Leinart make a name for himself earlier? How did it go from your perspective? I think I would actually like to hear Frost's answer on that after mine because defense, you get a different lens. But for me, I just thought it was a different guy every day. A different guy would look good. One day, Castle will come out and he'd throw some bombs. He'd be like, man, he's got a real strong arm. And then Brandon Hands will roll out of the pocket and do a couple of throws on the run and I think everyone was pretty impressed with John David just because how he carried himself and he probably threw the best natural pass out of the group. So just every day was kind of a different guy was doing well or seemed like he kind of came in first and the next day another guy would seem like he kind of picked up the slack. So what do you think, Frost? 
Well, yeah, like you just touched on, it was a different way. We're coming from Carson coming off his Heisman campaign. Then you got these two guys that are virtually unproven. You have a Brandon Hans that started a handful of games at Purdue transferring over. You got John David Booty, one of the, if not the biggest recruit at quarterback position in the country coming in early. You really couldn't tell that there was a distinct leader in the pack. And I touched on that in the last show that it was all the way to the wire and you didn't really know. I'm sure on the offensive side of the ball, you knew who was going into the first game, but they virtually kept it a secret from all of us. And I also touched that on the defensive side of the ball, we were so deep and so the competition was so high. I was really trying to stay in my lane and make sure I had my own position. Yeah. So when it came down to the wire, you just had to go with it because you knew the coaches had the best interest of the team going forward. So when Matt got the nod, it was just like, okay, well, he's the guy and here we go. Yeah, I ultimately think Matt ended up being the choice because he handled the mistakes the best, if that makes sense. His mistakes didn't pile up. He may have had one bad pass and then he would get back to it. So in that kind of situation, I think that might have worked out to be the best. So how quickly did you develop a relationship, a rapport with Leinert or did you have a better one with one of the other guys? As far as relationship, I didn't really have a relationship with any of them going into that. If I had a relationship with anyone, it was Castle just because of the house he lived in. He lived in the house with Carson and Troy and Kerry Colbert and all these guys. So they were already friends and I was around those guys a lot. So I pretty much knew Castle more than anybody else. But I met Brandon Hans first, <laughs> believe it or not. When I was coming out of high school, I took a trip to Purdue and Brandon Hans was at Purdue at the time. And he pulled me aside and he goes, hey, man, you're the guy from Florida, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, you don't want to come here. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. He was telling me how they don't let you wear long sleeves when it snows and everything like that. And sure enough, a few months later, we ended up at USC together. But me and Behance, we didn't hang out at school. So I didn't really have a relationship with any of them. The competition was kind of just the guys were going to figure it out on their own. Interesting. Interesting, because I would thought you would have had a green light to know coming off the season that you had as a freshman All-American and doing what you did. But like I said, everyone was really paying attention to their own thing. I think that's really what it comes down to. That might be the running theme of that time to where it was a collective of everybody just focused on what they needed to get done. And genuinely, even the coaches would say, hey, you know, don't be looking around, you know, worry about what you're supposed to be doing and worry about your job. And I'm still, even though you had success as a freshman, you're still relatively young. I mean, you know how I was. I wasn't super vocal when it came to the team. I just kind of went about my business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Mike, I wanted to touch on another thing. Being coached by the great Norm Chow and Lane Kiffin, obviously these two different dudes, one was the teacher, the other really was the student. And your sophomore campaign working with Norm and Lane. How did that work out for you? And how would that relationship, how did you see that blossom? Coach Chow was my favorite coach when I was getting recruited. So I was very excited to play for him. I didn't know that Kiff was going to be our receiver coach. The coach left right before I got there to go be the running backs coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Kiff ended up moving from tight end to the wide receivers. So he had never really coached wide receivers before. So me being a freshman and everything, we were getting it together. So he was a little less vocal my first year. And then that second year, you could see he was more vocal. He was pushing Coach Child more for certain kind of plays and certain kind of concepts. And you just knew eventually Kiff would want to run his own show, like most position coaches coming up. 
So I thought there were two good minds that were working together and trying to make it work. I think Coach Chow was a little bit reluctant to give Kiff a lot of control, but it turned out that they made it work and we won a lot and guys did numbers. And I think they really showed synergy with Reggie and how they used Reggie and how they got Reggie the ball early on and things like that. I think that really spoke to how great their minds were, just getting everybody the ball and making everybody feel like at any time they could touch it when we had so much talent in the field. Wow. Did Norm ever come in Kiffin's meeting rooms or anything like that and step into the ring like that and show who was more dominant or there was no beef like that? No, no, no. It was more of a Kiff would challenge our group. And then if we kind of showed that we were ready for it, then he would go and try to make things happen. Kiff would show us film and be like, you know, I want to run these kind of routes and these kind of concepts, but you guys got to get open in the one-on-one. So it was kind of a show, and then he would kind of go, and you would see it in the offense. You would see more one-on-one plays and things like that happen on my second year that didn't necessarily happen. My first year, I played on the slot a lot more my second year than I did my first year, and I think that was just a culmination of them two working together. Yeah, I mean, you were the biggest mismatch in there. Hey, Mike, can you remind everyone who was in your right receiver room? I know you guys were crowded, a lot of talent in there. Just remind the listeners who was in that room. My second year is Kerry Colbert, the Cliff Notes. Kerry was, I mean, even my freshman year when he was a junior, Kerry was kind of the leader of our room. You know, that's why it makes my heart smile that he's involved in the program in the capacity that he is. I think he's doing a great job with that group, but he's always been that guy as far as like making sure guys were accountable and he would get the group quiet sometimes when Kiff couldn't even get the room quiet. So it was Kerry, D. Hale, Greg Carlson. That's when we got Scuba Steve Smith out of Taft, who was a really good player. We had Jason Mitchell, Chris McFoy. Then we had a nice walk-on group, Lavario. Even DB Justin White came over to the dark side and played some wide receiver for us. So, Mike, as we've gone through the season game by game the last two shows, I want you to just kind of give us what were your favorite moments, favorite games from the regular season? 2003. The big one had to be Auburn because the first year we played them at SC and they really felt like they should have won and Cadillac got hurt. And, you know, we heard all the excuses. And so then the next year we get to go down and play them at Auburn for the first game. Then we blank them and they don't even score. So Auburn's probably won. Got to go anything UCLA and Notre Dame. Those are always great memories and great games, at least for our time. And then the Rose Bowl. Just to be able to play in the Rose Bowl, you know, coming up, watching college football, knowing it's a storied bowl game. So to be a part of that history is always going to be special. But I think the year in itself, there's a lot of great moments. I think there's a lot of great moments that didn't even happen on the field just with our group and seeing everybody who the year before had worked hard and really kind of coming to their own. You know, BKU was getting national recognition. We were just enjoying everybody getting a shine. Guys like Frost who didn't as much get a role in the first year when I was there, or the Lofa, and these guys that were really like major parts of our team that second year. So I think that was kind of really the best part of it was it was more of our group of guys that were really contributing to our team doing well. And so we will be talking more about the Rose Bowl game coming up. But first, again, Frosty's mentioned it. You guys were roommates. You guys are good friends. I want to hear the truth, Mike Williams. What was it like being Frosty Rucker's roommate? It was awful. Oh, God. It was awful. (laughs) Frosty was the worst, best roommate you could ever have. (laughs) Yeah. And the crazy part, we don't have to, I'm just saying this now as a disclosure, we don't have to go into details, but just believe them, guys. (laughs) 
we got to get a little bit of detail. Like, what's a good story? I want to hear a story that's clean enough that we can go with. Frost was the worst roommate in regards to you'd always be like, man, clean up, man, clean up. But he was also the best roommate because... Because I cleaned up behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was from Orange County. So that also paid dividends. I was able to go and hang out and do things that I necessarily wouldn't have been able to do being from Tampa and not really knowing people in California like that. So it was a little give and take, but he definitely is a lot cleaner as an adult than he was as a college kid. And I'll take that. And that's part of the growth as a human being. (laughs) Part of the growth. (laughs) But to Mike's credit, what he's saying, I had a chance to go to Tampa and visit where he's from, his roots, meet his grandma, meet his parents. It was a phenomenal time. And like he said, I got to bring him down south to Orange County and show him Tustin, where I'm from, and be around some of my friends. And they would come up. And that was a special moment at USC for me, just blending the two families I had, meaning at home in Orange County and my teammates as a family. And having all that mix, it made it more comfortable. And that's why I think kids in Southern California, Mike, or most kids, if you get to go to college where you're from, it's such an added bonus, you know, because as many as distractions there is, there's a lot of positives to that. And your comfort level is different. And being able to invite Mike into all of our families and like I said, having a chance to go there and be involved in his, that's what it was all about. And those memories are a lifetime for me. Yeah, man. It's funny how things come full circle. Like, you know, you don't think you're doing well at SC and everything like that. But when you're going to these places, you don't think much of that. And you definitely don't think much of yourself in that regard. But now I'm 36 and I have an eight-year-old son and he loves Juju and Juju does all the dances and all this stuff. And so it's kind of like one of the things is like, dad, I want to meet Juju. And it's kind of like, to me, it's like, it's not even that big a deal. Like, you know, I was like, whatever. But then I'm thinking back when I was at SC, it was like some kid that would probably thought it was a big deal to meet me. So it's funny how you don't even think about that stuff when you're kind of moving around. But now that I'm older, people will tell me all the time, hey, I met you here. Hey, I met you there. Hey, you know, I met you. You were nice. Or yada, yada. So it's just, damn, now I want to go to Orange County. Yes. <laughs> And that's a lesson, by the way, I think for all athletes or people who are in a position that can be a role model for others, you don't know what kind of impact you might have on that young kid who remembers meeting you. And if you're nice, if you show them some respect and everything like that, it leaves a good memory for a lot of these fans. And so that's just a good message to get out there for all athletes anyway, to treat your fans nicely. And it'll come back to maybe help you out along the way. The Believe in USC football podcast is brought to you in part by betonline.ag. There's no NBA, NHL, and MLB, but you still have plenty to wager on, including esports, American Idol, Big Brother, politics, and the spelling bee. BetOnline also has an online casino with blackjack and poker, plus their $750,000 poker series. They're still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive a welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. We got to get to the business at hand here. We have special guest Mike Williams with us today, joining Frosty and myself. So we left off part two of our three-part series looking back at the 2003 National Championship season with the big win over Oregon State to close out the regular season. And on that same day in the Big 12 Championship, the number one team in the country, the only unbeaten team at the time, Oklahoma, got upset 35-7 against Kansas State. 
And that sent shockwaves, of course, throughout the country because now there were going to be six teams with one loss. USC, Oklahoma, LSU, and then the three schools that really didn't have a chance at the BCS, but obviously they had one loss as well out of Conference USA at the time, TCU. Boise State was in the whack, and Miami of Ohio, led by Ben Roethlisberger, out of the MAC. So you had all these one-loss teams, and when the polls came out, Oklahoma drops to number three in the AP and coaches' polls. USC moves up to number one. LSU is number two after beating Georgia in the SEC title game. And so it became, what is the BCS rankings going to show? And it was not good news for the USC Trojans and their fans. Somehow, Oklahoma remained number one in the BCS rankings. LSU squeaks by USC by .16 to take the number two spot. The difference in the math? Strength of schedule. Oklahoma had the 11th ranked strength of schedule in the country, LSU 29 and USC 37. And that also allowed five of the seven computer rankings to have SC at number three. And it was so close that if just a couple of different things had happened on that final Saturday of the regular season, SC would have gone to the BCS championship game. If Notre Dame had just beaten Syracuse, or in the very last game of the regular season, if Hawaii had upset Boise State in Hawaii, then those two schools that SC had beaten, they would have helped SC strength the schedule enough to pass LSU. But in the end, USC, the number one ranked team in the country in both the AP and coaches polls, gets left out of the BCS. Now, after you guys beat Oregon State, was the expectation like, hey, we're going to the BCS championship game. It's just a matter of who we're going to play. Not for me. Being from Florida, you understand the South. And you understand how much they love their football and how a South school is always going to have a chance. So sure enough, when it played out that LSU was going to get in there, I wasn't surprised. It was USC wasn't established yet. We had made some noise that first year in the Orange Bowl, but people still weren't taking USC that serious on a national level, whether it's because of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time or whatever. It just wasn't taken as serious. So I felt like Oklahoma LSU was the bigger money game at the time. It's easy to put USC in the Rose Bowl. So we took care of business, though. We did what we were supposed to do. And sure enough, Oklahoma did exactly what everyone expected them to do, which was flop. It's unfortunate, but that wouldn't be the last time USC would be burned. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. Thinking the way you're thinking, see, Mike, you were so mature in your football game. You got to play as a true freshman. As I transferred and set out, that was two years in a row I set out. So I was still at the point where personally I was just thinking about just the next opportunity to play and hearing your perspective on that, that coming from the South and stuff, that's unique. I don't think a lot of our listeners understand that, but I didn't care who we played, right? It was just like, we're number one, we're going to play the number two team. But in retrospect, to think of the way you did and put it there, that makes a lot of sense now looking back on it, that the NCAA always favors the South teams and we weren't making a lot of noise. We were just coming on the scene and it wasn't until we played that Rose Bowl where we were solidified as one of the teams right. to circle on your map. So to hear it that way, that is a great way to look at it. And I still remember going into the restaurant and who knows what they were feeding us at that time, but packing us all in there on a day and having the cameras and Tim Tesalone and all those people around us to look at our facial expressions. 
you know, I was just looking at what we were going to eat. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I know on your path, that was completely different. So that's a good way to put it, man. That Auburn team that we beat that was loaded with talent didn't get credit for that. Didn't get a lot of credit for beating them. They ended up being who we thought they should have been that year, the next year when they were arguing about being champions and getting left out and everything. So, you know, that's just part of it. That's just part of it. And I think that's why as we're older, we care the way we do because we do represent the actual brick and mortar of the trajectory at that time. I mean, SC's had its peaks and its valleys in the storied history. So now that I'm older, I just appreciate that. Yeah, guys that went on and had great pro careers and won Super Bowls and been pro bowlers and all that. But when it's time to sit at the SC round table of accomplishments, our group has a front row seat. Yeah, we definitely do. We set the bricks there, Nara. That's the way we feel. We're so passionate about our program in the last, you could say, close to a decade or so, us being so dissatisfied. It's because we put those bricks down the right way and it feels like someone came in and chiseled them away took a brick here, took a brick there away from our foundation, and that's why we're crumbled. But I do think there's brighter days. I think we got some leadership that shouldn't be fired in the next two or three years at the AD position. I think we got a lot of great coaches now on the staff to support Clay and help him make decisions. And Yeah, a lot of good pickups, a lot of good pickups and assistance. Yeah, and that's a lot of it. I'm a fond believer in Coach O helped us tremendously win those national championships. You know, it wasn't just Coach Carroll. It was Coach O being the disciplinarian, the recruiter. He wore so many hats for us. It was Coach Davis' energy. It was Sark's jokes. It was Kiff's back and forth with everybody making fun of him because his dad was a coach. Right. It was so much that came into us winning that obviously Coach Carroll's going to get the credit and it's his coaching tree and all these guys are greats now and they're out there doing great things around the country. But those guys each had a piece to the puzzle. And hopefully we can get back to that. I really truly feel like that's what SC is destined for. And when we walk around there, that's why we walk around with our chins up because we know the work we put in. Yeah. They make 30 for thirties and they talk about the rise and fall and they want to highlight the negative parts, but they don't really go into how we work to get those wins. There was no cheating involved when we went out there with our hand behind that line, running those one tens at five 30 in the morning. You know, and you can't cheat the grind. You can't cheat success. So right. that's why we, we are the way we are. And that's why we're so proud of where we've come from. And that's why we are SC. And having put in all that work throughout that 2003 regular season, was there a reaction of being cheated out of going to the BCS? Was there a disappointment at having to play in the Rose Bowl, even though that's always been a goal for whoever wins the Pac-10 and now Pac-12 championship? What was the team reaction to what happened? I think it was a little bit of relief when it ended up being the Rose Bowl, just because it was kind of one of those, okay, it's a close game. Everyone will be able to have their families come. And then it was Michigan. They were coming from the Big Ten. They were a respected program. They had a really good season in their own right. So we had a, another Big Ten opponent. So I think we just kind of shift our focus to just making a statement in the regards of, yeah, we missed the national championship game, but we're going to just make Michigan the example. And, you know, I think we went out there and we did that. So that was the best thing I think we could have done was control what we can control. Because if we would have went out there and played flat, you know, we would have looked like fools. So we went out there and took care of business and it worked out how it was supposed to. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. If you look at it back then on paper, the game was so evenly matched up. Both had highly touted offenses, good running backs, good receivers. Both had outstanding defenses, both coached really well. Lloyd Carr as being the head coach with Michigan, Pete Carroll. It was a historic two rivalries that have played in the Rose Bowl versus each other before. 
So it had the marks to be a great game. So I don't think we're too disappointed. Like you said, we just went out there and did what we did because if we didn't, all that stuff we were building, we would have went right back to the, that's why they're playing in that game and that's why this. And you would have gave all the naysayers some stuff, but we didn't. We put our stamp on it. And from that point on, that's what launched us coming back to prominence. And then you get the last laugh by going and whooping on Oklahoma a year later anyway. So (laughs) it works out. That'll be the topic for another series, I think, down the line, Mike. So (laughs) we'll get into that as well with Frosty, of course, because he was on that team. If you enjoy listening to our Believe in USC football podcast, we are wherever you find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, subscribe and rate our show. Or you can go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. You can follow me there, send us comments about the show, any questions you might have. Frosty, where do the people find you on social media? As usual, you can find me at The Organic Frost, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Believe in USC Football Podcast is brought to you in part by LinkedIn. The perfect hire can impact your business for years to come, and the only place to find the perfect hire is on LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has over 675 million members worldwide. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. LinkedIn will put your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. And why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the top platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com team. Again, that's linkedin.com team to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And before we get into the Rose Bowl game itself, let's talk about some of the honors and awards that were won by this great USC Trojan team. Three consensus All-Americans. Of course, our special guest today was one of them, Big Mike Williams. The other two, offensive tackle Jacob Rogers and a guy you brought up earlier and has been brought up throughout our look back at this 2003 season, the defensive lineman Kanechi Udezi. All Pac-10 first-teamers were Big Mike, Rogers, and Udezi, of course, along with Matt Leinert, center Norm Katnick, Sean Cody, Mike Patterson, Will Poole, and a guy we haven't mentioned at all but had a really great year, and it's unfortunate that you're not going to mention the punter when you're talking about what a great team you had, but Tom Malone had a really great year punting the ball, setting records. The bomb. And... Liner, of course, was named the Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, becoming the second sophomore to win the award after John Elway, and he finished sixth in the Heisman voting. Mike, you were a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. Larry Fitzgerald beat you out for it, and you got eighth in the Heisman voting. And CBSSportsLine.com actually named you the National Player of the Year. And Jacob Rogers was the Morris Trophy winner on offense. That's given out to the best offensive and defensive lineman in the conference. Norm Katnick was a Remington Award finalist, which is given to the best center in the country. That was won by Jake Grove of Virginia Tech. BKU took the Hendricks Award finalist spot. That ended up being won by David Pollock. Tom Malone, like I said, he set a USC record for punt average, 49 yards a punt 
on just 42 punts, so he actually needed five more punts to be able to qualify to be the national leader, and he was named first-team All-American by three outlets, so he just missed being consensus, and he was the first SE All-American punter. You guys were just too good on offense. He didn't punt enough, really. And, of course, Pete Carroll, the coach, the American Football Coaches Association, National Coach of the Year, Home Depot Coach of the Year, and the Conference's Coach of the Year. Mike, real quickly on your awards, did you think you had a shot at winning that Bolitnikoff Award? Yeah, but then it goes back to that whole East Coast thing, man. No, no. Larry had a great year. I think he had, what, 22 touchdowns. It's hard not to vote for a guy that had 22 touchdowns. He had a really good season, and the guy's going to be a Hall of Famer soon. And got to lose somebody, I guess. Not too shabby. Yeah. As you can see, I'm still very hurt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think all SC fans thought you should have won it. So I don't think you're alone in that. No, no, no. It was a great time, man. You know, I had another guy with Kerry Colbert who was also catching a thousand plus every year and doing those things. So maybe Kerry's to blame. If he didn't do so well, maybe I would have got the ball more and had better numbers. Yeah, that's it. You just had better teammates. Larry Fitzgerald didn't have anyone around him at Pitt. Yeah, he didn't have the same support, man. So, But no, Larry, like I said, he did well, had a great year. He's been a great pro. But I have better hardware in college than those guys do. So it worked out. National title ring is better hardware than anything else. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's for sure. Again, it is a look back at the 2003 national title season. We are up to the point where we're getting into the Rose Bowl preparation now after the disappointment, maybe, of not going to the BCS championship game. But you got number four Michigan coming up in the Rose Bowl, classic Pac-10, Big Ten matchup. So what were the practices like, you guys, leading into the game? Was it really competitive? Was everyone just super motivated? How did the coaches get the team motivated? We only knew one way. Regardless where we were, what was going on, we were conditioned to always go at one speed and practice one way. And so it didn't matter, you know, who it was or where it was at. We kind of always brought the juice. So I can't recall a bad moment during Rose Bowl practices. I can't even recall one time where the coaches had to pull us up and be like, you guys got to work harder or you're not focused. I can't recall any bad moments throughout that bowl prep. We had already been there in a sense. Going to Miami the year before and understanding what it took to get ready for a bowl game and beat a good opponent, we already kind of knew how to walk the walk and what it took to prepare to go out and play. So that second time around with the Rose Bowl, I thought it was, I mean, it was like clockwork. We went through the practices, you know, went through the whole dinners and all that stuff. And then when it was time to play, we went out there and took care of business. I thought maybe my first year, we were all kind of big-eyed about Miami and the dinners and all the events and things like that. But the second time around, we were used to it. Yeah, I agree 100% with what Mike just said. I feel like having that experience of doing the bowl preparation and whatnot at your home field and practicing every day at our own facilities and just limiting ourselves to the few distractions, which were what Disneyland, Lowry Steakhouse, besides those things. And I'm sure Mike and the high profile guys had a little more extra things to do, but they were experienced with it. And You got to credit our coaches for establishing that atmosphere for us that we weren't ever going to be too big for the situation or there wasn't a situation bigger than us. So we were prepared for all that stuff and we got after it the normal way we do. We practiced hard. We competed. Just like Mike said, that was just our nature, how we went about business. And so we knew we were going to win. It just was going to be how bad it was going to be. Like I said, when we lost that cow game and that triple overtime, from that point, as a team, we knew we weren't going to lose anymore. That season was stamped that evening in Cal Berkeley that there was no more losses and we were going to really 
continue to put our head down and get to work and not lose. And Michigan was just next up. Man, Frost, would you have ever thought you would have played in possibly the only game that Aaron Rodgers was benched? Dude, they took him out of the game, bro. <laughs> That's crazy. We talked about that. He was benched after throwing the pick six by Lofa Tatupu, and they brought in Reggie Robertson, and somehow they won the game. Lofa is such a big play player, Mike. Oh, man, I love Lofa. I know. He's solid. And, yeah, like you said, they brought the guy in, and he beat us, and it's just like, how? And then now look at who Aaron Rodgers is. And even after that game, he went right back in and finished that season off great. And we had great matchups with him post that, but it was just one of those games for the ages, you know, and obviously we're on the receiving end of that, but that game itself had to be up there, not on the magnitude of Texas a few years past that, but at that moment, that three overtime in Cal Berkeley and those two teams squaring off with those coaches that didn't like each other with Tedford and Carroll, it was a matchup, man. And I said, then it was evenly matched up and they just happened to get us. It was a game where you saw everything that we had been told play out like when do you say it's over one overtime oh you block a kick it's not over another overtime oh fumble and you know the thing we took from that was look what it took to beat us look what they had to go through to beat us and I think we just took that you know it was just a weird game liner threw a couple picks that just kind of I think everybody has that you know my weird game was Kansas State I'm just dropping the ball a lot I don't know maybe it's just offensive guys but everybody has that game where they're just they're not on like they normally are I don't know it's weird maybe it's because we're human Sometimes they just work out that way. You never know. But again, like Frosty keeps bringing up, it ended up being the motivation to guide you guys throughout the rest of the season. Did not lose another game. And during the prep, real quick, what was the talk about Michigan? What did you guys think about them? So up front, we knew they had a huge offensive line. They had a great running back with Chris Perry. They had a big quarterback in Navarre on the edges with the receivers. They were stacked. We knew they were going to be big and they were going to try to out-physical us, but if our offense jumped on them, they wouldn't have any plays that could strike us deep or anything like that. So they played right into our game plan. They told us to stay styled up front, don't get pushed around, and our offense is going to get rolling, and by then they're going to have to throw it, and you'll have your chances to rush like Big Kenechi. I think he had two or three sacks. Will Pohl had a sack. There was interceptions for our defensive game plan, being balanced with our offense that can score and do the things they do, it fit right into our game plan. On offense, we were used to them with what they do. Just watching their film, they always played the same kind of defense. They didn't really change. They didn't really disguise. They had good talent, and they just depended on good talent. And it wasn't a very explosive game offensively than what we used to, but it was just more methodical, moving the ball, and then boom. I remember Kerry talking about having a big game. Like, he knew he was going to have a big game. And then he goes out there and he lights him up. I mean, he lights him up. So that was the beauty of our offense. You just didn't know who would have a day. You didn't know who was going to go out there and have a couple scores. And that game, it just happened to be Kerry's day to really get out there and shine. And then we had a chance to get the trick play in where I was able to throw the ball to Matt, which is one of my all-time favorite plays. You just love it that it's 28-7 to and we're already kind of in the party mode. So just a great game. Again, you are listening to our look back at the 2003 national title season for the USC Trojans. If you enjoy listening to the Believe in USC football podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The website is Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. And on social media at Believe Podcasts. 
To find me on social media, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Frosty, where are all the places they can catch up with you? As usual, you can follow me at The Organic Frost. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Believe in USC football podcast is brought to you in part by Simply Safe. With home security, you can wait weeks for a technician to do a messy install that costs a fortune. Or you can get Simply Safe, a two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard inside. You can set up the system all by yourself in only 30 minutes. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police in a moment's notice 24-7 for just 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafe.com slash team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash team. That's simplysafe.com slash team. From Simply Safe and all of us here, wishing you safety and good health. So now we got to get a deep dive into the Rose Bowl game itself, along with special guest today, wide receiver on that 2003 national title team, Mike Williams. Of course, I'm Nara Wang and Frosty Rucker, my co-host. So New Year's Day of 2004, USC against Michigan. SC ranked number one by the AP and coaches polls, but denied a BCS spot facing Michigan, the fourth ranked team coming in at 10 and two. Their losses had both been on the road at a 22nd ranked Oregon team by four and at a 23rd ranked Iowa team by three. Yet over 93,000 people in attendance at the Rose Bowl on a cool day in Pasadena, just 59 degrees at kickoff a little after two o'clock in the afternoon. And Michigan got the ball first, had driven to the USC 40-yard line when Marcel Allman came in, sacked Michigan quarterback John Navarre for a 9-yard loss. He was able to get his own fumble, so they kept the ball. But then another 9-yard sack force fumble by Will Poole that, again, Michigan was somehow able to recover. And their drive stalls out at the SC 30. Sean Cody blocks a 47-yard field goal attempt by Michigan kicker Garrett Rivas, and that gives SC the ball, and they go on a quick four-play, 54-yard drive, all Leinart completions, and Matt Leinart finishes it off with a 25-yard TD pass to Kerry Colbert. So guys, talk about that start of the game. Frosty, from your side, starting off first on defense with Michigan starting with the ball. Defense always starts and sets the tone. It was really good because we were tired of hitting each other in practice all month, it seemed like. And it was time to just get to it. Again, it was a big-time day, a big-time game, 93,000-plus people there. Obviously, you want to get those jitters out to be the first on the field. Get a couple of hits, get your pads loosened up a little bit. And then Marceau made a big play. And that really was like, okay, we're here. And the crowd's wild. Obviously, it's already like we're in a home game, being that we're down the street in the Rose Bowl. So to start off the game, defense always wants to go first. Yeah, and that's just to follow up with Frost. I mean, offensively, every drive you wanted to end in a score, but if it's not going to end in a score, you at least want to pick up a couple first downs, move the ball, flip field position. And, you know, we were able to just kind of go down the field and score. And for us, we were kind of like, okay, there was not really a lot of pushback. And we always thought that if your basic stuff didn't give us a problem, 
then your blitzes definitely weren't going to give us a problem. So coming out, they tried to pressure us. I think they came with like a field smash and Kerry hits the seam route. Matt puts on the line and carries high stepping into the end zone. It's a great start for us. Yeah, I remember being in the stands watching that game and you couldn't ask for a better start. Obviously, I think everyone got really excited thinking, all right, this is going to be another romp after the way SC had closed out the regular season, scoring 40 plus points in seven straight games, winning those games by at least 20 points. The game kind of became more of a defensive struggle the rest of the first quarter and most of the second, trading punts. Ryan Colleen missed the 39-yard field goal. But then Michigan had a third and 18 from their own nine, and John Navarre throws a pass that bounces off of Braylon Edwards' foot, bounces up and gets picked off by Lofa Tatupu at 29. He returns at 26 yards, oh so close to going with another pick six for Tatupu. SC turns it into a six-yard TD catch by Lendale White and ends up leading 14-0 at halftime. So what was the mood in the locker room at halftime? We got him. <laughs> I felt like we, had <laughs> we all knew what time it was going into halftime that we had him. Those big plays and those big moments, getting everyone involved in the game, it just fed right into who we were, getting that juice at halftime. And then I'm sure we had a big drum in there. We started beating on that drum and knocking on the lockers and talking to each other and looking at each other, letting each other know that we're completely locked in and we're about to take home this game. And it's all about that energy. And it rolls downhill from the head coach, assistant coaches, and your leaders on your team. And when your favorite bros on the team are making big plays and making a name for themselves, that's what it's all about. And a lot of those guys did that in the first half. So we knew we had them. Yeah, definitely knew we had them. It always came down to us. When we take care of the football, we're hard to beat. So we weren't turning the ball over. Even with the punts, we'd pick up a first down or two. I think we might have one or two, three and outs, if that. So we just knew kind of like, okay, let's get out here and let's try to slam the door on them early because we knew they weren't going to quit. They had a lot of older seniors on their team, so they had some experienced guys. The quarterback was a senior, so they weren't just going to quit. And in the second half, they came out and tried to put up a fight. And you're right. Opening drive of the second half, SC gets the ball first, of course, and they go 83 yards in five plays, capped by a 47-yard TD catch by Kerry Colbert. An amazing catch. With one hand, he was being interfered with. I remember Jeremy Lasseur was all over him. He catches it despite the interference, breaks another tackle, and coasts in to give SC the 21-0 lead. Michigan did answer right back with a long 16-play drive, 76 yards, ended with a Tim Massaqua 5-yard TD catch. But then SC gets the ball right back, 8 plays, 72-yard touchdown drive, and it ends with Big Mike taking the reverse handoff from Herschel Dennis and throwing a sweet 15-yard TD pass to quarterback Matt Leinert for the 28-7 lead. An absolute dime, by the way. Mike, take us through that play, man. Oh, man, that play was long overdue. Keith Jackson was definitely right. That play was long overdue. It seems like we practiced that play every week of the season. And then when it came to the game, they would always call a different play if we did call a play to throw the ball. So it was just perfect, man. Matt sold it. It always comes down to Matt. He sold it perfectly. I was a quarterback up until high school, so I was supremely confident I was going to deliver a great pass. And, I mean, wow, that was a historical Rose Bowl moment. And just to be a part of it is a blessing. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you something, being on the sideline, watching that play develop. And like you said, you guys practiced it every single day. It seemed like in practice, there was always that one play that we always had to be prepared for it just in practice. And finally, when it got dialed up and it was lefty to lefty, you threw a perfect dime. Like you said, Matt sold it really good. 
Obviously, no one was paying attention to him because he was slower than a snail going uphill. <laughs> like I said, it's a perfect pass, a perfect play, perfect game for it, the energy. A lot of these coaches get pats on the backs for calling that, but you guys executed it the right way. I was so proud to be a Trojan that day and that you were my roommate. And you guys just made so many plays, man, that are second to none. I don't care. We can go down the list and keep watching other teams play and they can play it on ESPN and rank them and stuff like that. I always say my team was better because the plays they made, the tackles they broke, the Moss plays that you made all the time on different defenders that played in the NFL. I mean, that play right there should be the Rose Bowl play of the history. It, it has to be. I don't know. Rose Bowl's got some history for us. You're right. But for me, <laughs> this is my show. It's <laughs> my show. <laughs> and I'm an SC Trojan. You know what I mean? Like that play for me, it was just, I was so hyped for you guys, though. I was so hyped to be a part of it. Before the Philly special, we were doing it, man. Before Philly special, we were already doing it, man. We were ahead of our time. It is still one of the great moments in all of Rose Bowl history. And the decision to make the call at that time, do you know kind of what went through that decision? Well, they always said it would be a fringe call, which means like 20 to 30 yards out. And I don't know if Matt asked for the play. I mean, I think he did. I think he asked for the play. When they called it, it was just kind of like, my eyes got big. And I was like, oh, we're really running it. And then it's like these kind of plays, they happen in slow motion. Herschel's got the ball, then he's pitching it. So I'm wondering if I'm going to get tackled. I'm wondering if the guy's going to peel back and cover Matt. And what's my second option? Because I wasn't going to run it unless it was wide open. My second option was Kerry Colbert running the post. And I was going to chug it to the end zone for Kerry. So I'm happy Matt ended up being wide open. The easiest throw I could have made. Nobody pressuring me. And, you know, just when he caught the ball and just seeing him raise the ball up in the air. And to know Matt is, you could say him catching that touchdown was probably more fun than a bunch of the touchdowns he's thrown over his career. Mike, I want to know, in a game time situation like that, the play is called, it's a big moment, you wear gloves. Did you have a glove on or did you take it off? Because I want to know if the defensive back got a read on it. No, kept the gloves on. And I think that's why I kept the gloves on. Because you see the glove come off and you don't know how in-depth the scout reports are. So, no, I kept the gloves on. I felt comfortable throwing with the gloves on. And in practice, you're playing catch so much with quarterbacks on the sideline, other wide receivers that you naturally get used to throwing the ball with gloves on because you can't take your glove off every time and still work on catching the ball. So I was comfortable with throwing the ball with gloves on. And it wasn't going to be a far throw to begin with. So, like I said, I'm happy. Matt sold the play the way he did, and he made the throw an easy one for me. Big time play, man. And so from that point on, I think every SC fan in the house and watching the game around the world expected SC to cruise on in for the victory. They were up 28-7, but Michigan made it a little tougher. Chris Perry had a two-yard TD run with 11.06 left in the fourth quarter to get them within two touchdowns at 28-14. And the next SC drive figured to be the one that's going to put them away. And it got to the Michigan five-yard line when Liner ended up losing a fumble. So Michigan got the ball back with 342 left in the game. And that drive got snuffed out back-to-back sacks by Konechi Udezi and Dallas Sartz to seal the deal. Four Herschel Dennis runs finish off the Rose Bowl victory and USC's first national title since 1978. Matt Leinert named the Rose Bowl player of the game 23-34 for 327 yards, three touchdowns passing, and that 15-yard TD catch. Mike Williams, of course, had the TD pass along with eight catches and 88 yards. 
the monster game from Kerry Colbert. Six catches for 149 yards and the two touchdowns. Michigan had entered the game with the sixth-ranked pass defense in the nation and had only allowed five touchdown passes all year. They give up four in this game. The USC running backs kind of quiet, 23 carries for 84 yards. Reggie Bush was the leader among them. He had 41 yards on eight carries and added 42 yards on two catches. And the defense, a monster day. 14 tackles for loss for a total of 78 yards. Nine of those were sacks for 69 yards. Forced three fumbles all on sacks, although we couldn't recover any of them. Michigan managed to fall on it. Navarre got two of his own fumbles. There was an interception and eight pass breakups. Lofa Tatupu with 12 tackles and the interception. Will Poole, 10 tackles, 8 of them solo. 3 for a loss, 2 sacks, 5 pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Just a all-around great game for him. Konechi Desi with the 3 sacks and a forced fumble. Dallas Sartz had to play a lot more because Matt Grudegood was struggling with an injury. So he had 7 tackles and that closer sack. Frosty, you got into the action as well. You got on the stat sheet with the tackle, and it was just a big game. What was it like celebrating after that game? Rock stars. <laughs> and I think that party lasted probably a good week or two until school started again. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I was gone. Yeah, that's a different interview that we need to have for <laughs> BMW because BMW had his sights on going to NFL at that rate. So. Yeah, I knew going into that game, that was going to be my last college game. So I didn't stay to party. I literally played in the game, went in the locker room, took my jersey off my shoulder pads to make sure I was going to have it and found my folks and went to the airport. So I didn't, but I heard they were getting it in. It was definitely a party for SC and the SC fans after winning the Rose Bowl 28-14 and getting a national championship, even if it wasn't the BCS national championship. So we got to talk about that BCS championship game. That was the Sugar Bowl on January 4th, a few days after the Rose Bowl. LSU defeated Oklahoma 21-14 in what was really an uninspiring, boring game, in my opinion. And I want to know, did you guys watch the game? What were your feelings about it? I mean, to me, there was no doubt SC was going to beat either of those teams. I'm sure you guys felt the same way. I did not watch it. I didn't care. We were number one. Mike? I didn't watch either. <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, I didn't watch either. I could care less. It didn't matter what happened. Didn't matter at all. Here you got it. <laughs> it, it didn't matter, Nara. <laughs> Pretty simple. It didn't matter. And it did not matter because the AP voted USC number one. And even three coaches in the coaches poll that were mandated to vote for the BCS championship winner, they broke ranks and voted USC number one. That's how good that USC team was that year. And I want to get just your final thoughts on what's the legacy of that 2003 national title team. Like I said, we were the bricks for the foundation of the resurgence of our program. I think that's the only way I can describe it. We laid the bricks down to start our title runs and to keep doing it consecutively. So we're the foundation. Yeah, I can't agree more, Frosty. I think the other teams were maybe more hyped but the 03 team was really, I think, the last lunch pail group because after that, the celebrity hit and the celebrity hit hard. And it was a different SC after that Rose Bowl. 
SC really wasn't going to be the same after that. It never was. So I think at that time is like the last group of the lunch pail guys. It's funny you bring up Matt Gruda Good. Those are the kind of guys I'm talking about. The guys that were undersized, but had the heart of a lion and just meant so much to our team. And there's multiple guys like that. And then I think it just kind of took off. The celebrity took off. That's what I remember from the team is just being the last kind of keep your nose down group. And so SC... 2003 national champions we hope you've enjoyed listening to our three-part series that frosty and i have gone back through memory lane to remember that national title team if you enjoyed listening to us of course you can find our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts whether it's itunes spotify google play stitcher luminary or tune in you can find us on the website believe.com as well b-l-e-a-v.com on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. Find and follow me there. And Frosty, where are you? As usual, you can find me at The Organic Frost, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So before I let you guys go, any other memories the two of you would like to share from that season, whether it's on the field, off the field, hanging out together, your time at SC, whatever it is? I'd like to say, Mike, thanks for coming on, obviously, as your friend, your teammate, and your roommate. Watching you perform the way you did all 2003 season was remarkable. I'm really sitting here shocked that you're not USC Hall of Fame, that you're not College Football Hall of Fame for the things you did in such a little stint. There needs to be more talk about that. And it was a pleasure to play with you. You really set the tone at any position that was on the field. You're a legend in my books, and I appreciate all your grind, man. Oh, man. Thank you, man. And same for you, man. It was me doing what I did my freshman year and you transferring in and having to sit out and you brought a different perspective. You came from a different grind. One minute you're over here, one minute you're over there. And then seeing you finally find a home on the D-line and you end up playing twice as long in the NFL than I did definitely speaks to your grind, man. And we all respect the hell out of you. And so appreciate you having me on, man. All love, brother. All love. So for Frosty Rucker and special guest Mike Williams, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 29 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? We hope you had as much fun as we did in our three-part series looking back on the 2003 USC National Champions. So remember, as I always end every show, fight on. Defensive side of the ball. Oh, you want to go, Mike? Go ahead. No, Frost. Age before beauty. Oh, my God. Sorry, not this guy. He, he just, <laughs> he knows exactly what Anyways, let me go back. I need to do a better job. You know, now these, these high school kids, they really care about the Twitter and all that. So I got to step it up. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's a different time, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> yeah, man. Mr. Orange County, he's freaking so jealous of me, so handsome. Um, <laughs> pause. Big pause. <laughs> We're definitely going to edit that out. Come on, man. It's 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know, bro. I know. Nara, you can edit that in, right? Yeah, I'm sure I can. Okay. I didn't think for a second you could. Yeah, he's a technician. The first one that I, you know, I, I had a chance, the only one, what am I talking about? First one, the only one I had a chance to play in. Like two years, bro. Yeah, yeah, I keep, I told you, man, it's a long time ago. Pause that too, Frost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's run that back. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.